Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hi, I'm Christy Porter with Vector Global Logistics, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. Um, today, I'm excited to have my teammate, Monica Roche, with me. Hi, Moni. How are you today? Hi, Christy. Doing great. And you? I am really good. I know you are especially excited for this interview. Um, it's been one you've wanted to set up for a long time, and you've been a fan of this organization for the last few years, being able to move their shipments. So we are thrilled to welcome and introduce uh, Dr. Kevin Straithy, plastic surgeon at Sebring Plastic Surgery and uh, founder of Liberia Medical Relief. So Dr. Kevin, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hi, Dr. Kevin. As Christy was mentioning, it's a really big pleasure for us to have you here today. Uh, so first of all, I would like to talk a little bit about where you grew up, how was your childhood like? Um, can you share some memories of your upbringing, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up uh, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. I was born in Minneapolis. Uh, my father was a hospital administrator, so that was my first introduction to medicine. Uh, but I grew up in a pretty typical uh, middle-class American family. Um, I never had a, to really worry too much about things. Uh, I was always in a secure environment. And that uh, has made it a lot easier, I think, to be able to give back because I've never had to really be too concerned about uh, my own well-being. Yeah, makes sense. I can hear a little bit of the Minnesota <laughs> whenever you say it. <laughs> so still hanging yeah. on there. <laughs> um, yeah, and still I, hang on. Yeah, and now you're joining us from Liberia today. Um, we're going to talk a lot about medicine and your medical influence. Sounds like it started at a very early age. So I'm curious, um, looking back at those early years, what's a story? Is You spent a lot of time, obviously, in hospitals and in and around the medical field. So is there one or two specific memories that stand out that you think contributed to where you got to today? Well, you know, I um, uh, I think that one of the the uh, influences that I had when I was a child was a man by the name of Dr. Richard Owen. Uh, he was uh, he was a, a friend of my father's, and he was one of the people that I respected uh, more than just about anybody else I knew as a child. He was just a wonderful guy, and he was very giving and very caring, and I think he had a huge influence on me uh, wanting to become a physician. The, the truth is I uh, wasn't necessarily inclined to become a physician when I was young uh, or even when I was in college. When I was in college, I was very interested in chemistry and I thought mm -hmm. that uh, that was the career I wanted to choose. Uh, I have an identical twin brother who is wow. an orthopedic surgeon wow. and he always wanted to be a surgeon. Uh, and my father sort of coached me into the fact that I could do a lot more with an MD degree than I could do with other degrees, and it just would open a lot of doors. It made a lot of sense. 
I've always advised my kids, keep the doors open. Don't slam any doors behind you. And so I followed my dad's advice and, and went to medical school. Uh, when I got into medical school, I found out that I just really, really loved surgery. And so I became a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And what was it like growing up with a twin? Well, what's it like not to grow up with a twin? You know, <laughs> I, the only thing I know, um, I always had a best friend. Uh, he just was here, left here about a week and a half ago. He was here in Liberia for five weeks doing reconstructive cool. pediatric orthopedics and uh, teaching the Liberians how to do that. And so it was really wonderful to have him here for those weeks. Yeah. But, you know, being a twin is uh, just, it's just being another guy, I guess. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so yeah. you yeah. talked a little bit about the chemistry background. Um, so what was it that really, was there another kind of epiphany shift or a slow shift over time and why you decided, when you decided to study medicine and become a plastic surgeon? And I, I'm assuming um, there's still some of that research chemist background that comes into play in your life now too. Oh yeah. I, um, I've always enjoyed academics. Um, I was a clinical professor in uh, two departments at the University of Minnesota when I was practicing in Minnesota. Uh, I've always liked teaching. I've always liked studying. I still study. I still read a lot. Uh, there's always information to be gotten. And so uh, the, you don't really lose that. Uh, I, I don't do real research right now, although I've done some in the past. Uh, but academics is exciting. Learning is exciting. And I think we just have to keep it up. Coming here and being in Liberia now, I've had to relearn a lot. I learn a lot from the local doctors about tropical medicine and how to handle things in a more limited, uh, uh, you know, resource limited environment. And so it's, uh, it's just an ongoing learning experience here. Yeah. And so what was that shift um, to move into medicine? Did it, did it happen over time or did you just suddenly have an uh, epiphany? It, make uh, it, it was just sort of a, a, a progression of uh, excitement, I guess. Mm. Uh, it, I, I always, uh, like I said, enjoy learning new things. And when I got into uh, medical school, I was studying my basic sciences and my chemistry and thinking I was going to go further with that. But once I got into surgery, I realized that uh, surgery and my personality fit together very well. I in, always enjoyed fixing things, repairing things, building things. And as a reconstructive surgeon, that's basically what I do on a daily basis. It's just that I'm fixing and repairing human beings as opposed to broken furniture or something. Yeah, fascinating. I never yeah. thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's just, it it's great. I think you have to have such a specific personality for doing this. So it's great that you noticed that before you went to chemistry. <laughs> but what were some of your professional experiences before the creation of Liberia Medical Relief? I know that you have already spoken about uh, teaching two classes in the University of Minnesota while practicing there, but... Was there anything else that you did before you decided to to create an organization like this one? Well, yes, I um, I had always been involved in uh, some form of charitable work. Uh, I had a very good friend who was a Ukrainian physician in Minneapolis, and he worked with the Ukrainian church. 
and would bring children, particularly over from Ukraine, for health care in the United wow. States, in Minneapolis specifically. Uh, I was very active in helping a lot of those children. Uh, I was kind of a pushy guy. I would tell everybody we were going to take care of these kids and nobody was getting paid and we were going to use the OR and the hospital wasn't going to get paid. And uh, I never had I never had any problems with telling everybody that they were going to have to work and not get paid. And it <laughs> just great. was the right thing to do. Yeah. I worked with some children from South America and did a lot in the, in Minneapolis for people that came to Minneapolis. I had mentioned that I uh, have a twin brother. And in the, um, I want to say it was in the early 90s, uh, he went to an island off the east coast of Africa called Comores. And he'd gotten in touch with these people uh, through ham radio, which my father was doing. And they needed help uh, with orthopedic surgery. So uh, for about five years, he would go over to this island called Comores off the east coast of Africa and uh, do orthopedic surgery over there. So that's been in the family for, you know, quite a while. Wow. Yeah. Um, and through ham radio, I mean, that is not a story you hear every day either. That's pretty fascinating. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. The, um, the ham radio operators, when they have their, their competitions, they want to get, be able to communicate with as many people around the world as they can. And so they get their little, um, uh, contacts. Well, the, the Comores Islands didn't really have much in the way of ham radio. So one fellow went over and set up a, a station over there so he could talk to people all over the world. And everybody in the world wanted to talk to him because it was such a unique place. Wow. Well, th- that is how it started. And then the, uh, the physicians over there uh, started operating the ham radio and they were talking with my father. My father told him about his boys and uh, one thing led to another. And my brother ended up going over there for several years. Wow. How long did that relationship last? Well, it, I think it was about five years. And then there was some political unrest. And mm-hmm. so uh, it kind of fell apart. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What an interesting origin story, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've mentioned now Liberia Medical Relief a couple of times. You're coming mm-hmm. to us today from Liberia. So I guess tell us more about the mission. Tell us more about where you are right now. And of course, you've mentioned a couple of places around the globe right now. So why Liberia specifically? Well, it's a real simple answer. I'm married to a Liberian. Ah, okay. That would do it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) My my wife is a Liberian uh, and she's a nurse. And uh, she is the best nurse I've ever known. And I'm not saying that because she's my wife. (laughs) Now we have it recorded for you. (laughs) She's just, she is a superb nurse. Uh, She's very well organized. She is a leader. And uh, she always wanted to give back to Liberia. Uh, So we came here. Well, Liberia, as you may know, uh, underwent... uh, some civil unrest and they had two civil wars. And um, if you went back into the 90s, uh, Liberia was sort of the jewel of West Africa. It was a beautiful, beautiful country, very sophisticated. The graduates from the medical school here in those days could go anywhere in the world, just like an American graduate could. Uh, But then there was civil war and um, 
the, the country was really, really badly damaged. And so the, there's been rebuilding. There's been peace now for, you know, a couple of decades. Uh, and so uh, we came over originally in 2013, basically for her to be able to get a chance to come back home and for me to see where she was from and to see what we might be able to do. Uh, when we got here, there were just maybe 200 doctors for about 4 million people. And a lot of the physicians really weren't very well trained. Most of the good doctors had left and the need was just staggering. And one of the ways I describe it to people is the only thing that exceeds the need here is the surplus in the United States. We have so much surplus uh, in, in all aspects of society in the United States. Uh, in healthcare, we have um, items that are discarded uh, and, they, they, and they're perfectly useful, they're perfectly useful. And it isn't just because of expiration dates, it's because somebody changed what they wanted to do uh, they changed the company they wanted to work with and so on and so forth. And there's just, there's warehouses all over the United States full of medical surplus equipment. And so that's what we decided to do at first was to just get supplies. Um, if you recall, there was a terrible Ebola outbreak here in 2014. And uh, we had recognized some of the issues with not having enough gloves and gowns and masks and protective equipment. And so just kind of serendipitously, that was uh, uh, a lot of what was in our first container that came over in 2014. And so we were able to distribute that around and get a little bit of a head start on Ebola. And then of course, Ebola took full force. What people don't really understand is that um, Prior to this West African outbreak, the total number of deaths uh, from Ebola in the recorded history was less than 200. And there were thousands, you know, over 10,000 deaths uh, in the Ebola outbreak uh, here in West Africa. So that's, that's a, a huge, huge uh, uh, number. And it just is a, a testimony as to how poor the medical infrastructure was over here. So we started doing everything we could to help rebuild it. And uh, I provided surgical services. I've been training uh, physicians here since uh, 2014. And uh, now we are established with one particular hospital. We're with a hospital called the 14 Military Hospital. It's the first military hospital in the history of Liberia. We were asked to help uh, get this hospital off the ground. Trying to get a new hospital going is a tremendous undertaking and the military had never done it. Uh, I've been uh, on the board of hospitals and uh, Natu, as I said, is profoundly capable. So we came here and helped get this hospital started. So that's, that's where we're located now is the 14 military hospital, which is just outside of Monrovia in mm -hmm. Liberia. Yeah, and this, this story is just amazing. And, and well, you kind of already explained a little bit of the next question, but still I, I want to ask it because, well, we know that your wife, Natu, and you, well, you guys often gather medical supplies um, in the U.S. and ship them to Liberia as a nation for hospitals and for the, the military hospital too. But how do you start to do this? Um, and who helped you and 
what are some challenges that you have found during this process? Because I know that you you guys <clears throat> gather medical supplies with the help of other uh, friends of yours who are also doctors or in the in in the health area. But I also know that sometimes you load them uh, not in a hospital but in a house uh, with help of volunteers. So how do you manage to put all of that in motion? Like yeah, how do you well, do it? When you you ask about the challenges. Uh, there's plenty. Um, <laughs> what the only way to do something like this is to really, really, truly believe in it. And so, if you really believe in it, uh, the work is uh, is not as much work. It's exhausting. Uh, we've shipped I don't know how many containers. Um, we're estimating it at about 400 tons of supplies. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't know. If, yeah, how close that is to the real number, but it should be pretty close. But every single item that has gone into the containers has been sorted and packed by Natu and myself, mostly Natu. Uh, we do not ship garbage. There's uh, a lot of times people will ship a container full of quote unquote medical supplies. And when it gets over here, half of it goes in the trash. It's just useless stuff. Oh. And uh, we, we inspect everything. And so we started doing it out of our garage. Mm -hmm. And um, for years, we never parked our cars in the garage. And uh, we would get uh, help uh, with packing and uh, so on. When we load the containers, we're fortunate enough to have a good relationship with our county sheriff's department, and they bring the uh, reliable inmates over from the county jail, and they do all the heavy lifting to get the containers wow. back. We work with church groups and other groups, uh, friends and so on, to uh, help get the containers ready, help get the shipment ready. We have moved into a warehouse now. We uh, own a, a 3,000 square foot warehouse uh, where we can uh, work now so we don't have to work out of the garage. So that's a little bit of how it matured. That's fantastic. Wow. Um, I, I love even, yeah, all the people that have been able to be involved and participate as a stakeholder and feel like they have ownership in the mission um, down to even utilizing the prison system. That's really creative. Um, and so you, you're involved from start to finish, literally. Uh, so what's, I guess, what are some of the highlights for you? What are some of the, your favorite parts of being involved in the process? Oh, well, for me, the biggest thing is the teaching. Mm. Uh, I've always loved teaching. And so uh, I've been able to watch some of the young doctors here come out of the medical school, go through their training, mature into very capable young physicians, and now watching them uh, strike out on their own. Uh, that's probably the most rewarding thing. The second most rewarding thing, of course, is treating the children. Mm -hmm. We get, I do, as a plastic surgeon, I do burn work. So we get some pretty awful things. And uh, I take care of cancers and burns and all the sort of unpleasant things. Uh, but when you can take somebody who's in a, in a real tough spot and uh, give them some improvement and some hope and some uh, uh, quality of life that, that's improving, uh, it, it's just uh, you, you get, you, the reward can't be measured. That's all there is to it. it yeah. 
And then, like I said, the teaching to me is just yeah. so exciting because I love to see the uh, the young doctors get it. You know, when you when you're able to impart the knowledge onto somebody else so that you know that it's carrying on, uh, that's profoundly rewarding. Uh, at one point here, uh, we got a little frustrated with the teaching hospital because we couldn't get as much work done as we'd like. Uh, so we moved to a different hospital where we got a lot of work done. Uh, but it came down to give a man a fish, teach a man to fish kind of concept. And we realized we really had to teach this. And like I said, my brother was just here and uh, he taught two young Liberian surgeons how to do a lot of very creative uh, pediatric orthopedics. And now they're going to continue on with it. So we know we're making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, do you have any idea how many uh, medical professionals you've trained over the years? Oh, well, you know, I mean, over the years, I mean, I, I was involved with uh, two different residency programs. You know, residency is the postgraduate uh, specialty programs. Uh, I, I, I can't even, you know, it was just constant stream of, yeah. of, of young doctors. And, you know, I graduated from medical school uh, over 40 years ago. So it's been wow. a few years. Yeah. And do you know how many in Liberia? Oh, here? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably... I've had, well, you know, there's uh, the ones who are the real, um, the ones that have completed their training. There's probably about a half dozen that, you know, from starting in uh, 2000, well, actually it was because of Ebola, I didn't get really involved in the teaching until about 2016. So since 2016, we've had about, you know, about six or eight of the surgery residents come through that I've had uh, plenty of uh, good, strong contact with. Yeah. So you're, you're evening out that ratio a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, you've talked about some of the type of cases that you treat over there in Liberia. Um, we talked about severe burns, cancer, and other very delicate stuff. But what has been one of the cases that most marked your career like what a very important case in in, in the, your whole career which has been more than four years now so well um i think the uh, the cases that are the most memorable are the ones where i bring a skill set that nobody else has around here and so there are cases that will sometimes be delayed uh, when I, I used to come twice a year for a month each time. And so there would be cases that would be waiting six months for me to arrive so that I could wow. uh, do some of those. Um, the, the most uh, memorable ones are often some of the most unpleasant ones, a small child with a cancer of the eye where you have to remove the eye. Uh, and reconstruct that area. That's very challenging. Uh, severe burns, children with severe burns who need extensive reconstructive surgery. Just knowing that you're giving them a chance to to survive. These are these are not lethal injuries, but they are um, crippling, profoundly crippling injuries. And so you give the children a, a greater quality of life. Those are the most rewarding ones. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is there an average age of burn victim over there? Is it mostly no, children no, that you treat? Burns, 
Burn, you know, people ask me, why are there so many burns over there? I say there's just so many burns in the United States. The thing is, is that if you're in a developed country and you get burned, you're going to be treated. We don't even have a burn unit over here. So uh, it's been one of my fantasies is to actually establish a true burn unit. But uh, people get burned everywhere in the world. Uh, but if you're somewhere in a developed country, you will be transported very quickly to a sophisticated burn center and get treated. Here, we don't have that. And so uh, the um, there was a, a group of young doctors who did a study on what was going on with pediatric burns here. And unfortunately, the mortality rate in a serious pediatric burn here was 80%. And so uh, that should be down around 20%. And so uh, we've got a long ways to go uh, on trying to at least, you know, save the lives and then improve the lives of those that we do save. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, in your, your mission for Liberia uh, Medical Relief, you talk about your goal is to continue to help people who are suffering. So where, where did that specifically come from? What does that mean for you each day? Well, you know, the, um, when you... When you get into an environment like this, especially the way it was in 2013, and I can tell you things have gotten a lot better in the last nine years. But when you see that, uh, you're really compelled to uh, to do what you can to make a difference. Even if it's a small difference, it's a, it makes a difference. Um, there's a, you know, it's really almost hard to put into words. Uh, the... Uh, People who think they're they're uh, not well off in the United States are better off than the vast majority of the people here. Uh, you don't really understand what poverty is in the United States. I mean, sure, there's people who are impoverished, but not to the level that it is here. The people here, uh, I. I I don't know exactly what the number is now, but they say that the average Liberian probably lives on about $2 a day. Uh, minimum wage was about $90 at one point, uh, $90 a month mm -hmm. at one point. And you know, it's awfully hard to live on that. Uh, it's very subsistence living. Uh, most people don't have automobiles. People don't have uh, things that we take for granted in the United States or in Mexico, mm -hmm. you know, there's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of these things that when you get in, when I first got here, Liberia was the fourth poorest country in the world. And it just is, it's orders of magnitude worse than, than just about anything you'll see in, in the developed world. So it's not hard to get motivated. <laughs> I mean, you, you see what's going on. You see what you can do as an individual. You see what we can do as an organization. And uh, it's just about impossible to say no. My brother who just left, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting older. We're in our late 60s. And so um, uh, we're slowing down a little bit. But when he left, he said, well, I'll be back in about six months. And so... Uh -huh. That's uh, that. That's just the mentality. You just got to keep doing what you can do. Definitely. And well, I just wanted to tell you that you are an amazing person, and because of all of what you do, you don't only help people to reconstruct their life or, or heal from these horrible burns, but also you teach them. You're in another country that and have taken it as if it was your country. 
So congratulations for all of what you're doing, for what you're teaching, for all the heart and passion that you're putting into this, because you mentioned earlier that the only way to make this happen if, is if you truly believe in this. And we can tell that you do. You're involved in everything, in going back to the USA, gathering the material, making sure that it, it's useful, packaging it, and then getting other people involved into the shipping and then being in Liberia to receive it. That's just, it's crazy. And I know that there are a lot of challenges. I, I remember one day uh, where you were telling me, we really need to load this container because I'm going to fly to to Liberia tomorrow. This cannot wait. Oh. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this current supply chain problem that we're having now is unique. Uh, for yeah. anybody who's listening out there, I can tell you that Vector Global Logistics has been wonderful. Uh, we've gotten great service. And what she's referring to is this last time we were supposed to load a container and the container didn't show up. So we were pretty upset. But uh, everybody got to work and we got the we got the container the next day and loaded it and got over here. So I appreciate the work you guys put into it because I know it's uh, the last year or two has been tough for you guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. And it's been incredibly challenging for everyone. There's a lot of things happening that we cannot control, mm -hmm. but we also take this your mission like personally. So for me, it's like, no, there's no way that we don't ship this. We need to do it. So we yeah. just try our best. And I'm glad to to be able to say that we are contributing a little bit in, in the mission that you, that you have. So I just want to ask you one more question. What's coming next? Uh, what are your future plans for, for <laughs> what you do? Well, what's coming next is uh, Natu and I, so I retired in the United States at the end of 2020. And so Natu and I are here uh, on a much closer to full-time basis. And so uh, this hospital we're in has been open six months. And uh, we have all kinds of ideas about what needs to be done to uh, improve the hospital, to take it to the next level, and so on and so forth. So we've got probably, uh, I'm going to guess, three to four years of development here. And during that time, we'll certainly be calling you to help us get some supplies over here. We're working harder on raising uh, larger sums of money to try to get some more uh, purchased equipment. Uh, the, the vast majority of everything that we've shipped has been donated. Uh, of course, we do have to purchase some things, but it's all been kept on a fairly uh, economic scale. Uh, we're trying to uh, change that a little bit and try to get some uh, higher quality equipment, some new equipment. Uh, and so um, we'll see how successful we are in that endeavor. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. there uh, might be a specific burn unit in the future as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just send money. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. So speaking of, um, tell us about, tell uh, everyone who's listening how they can connect with you and continue to learn more about your work and get that money to you um, or yeah, provide uh, new and new medical equipment. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a, uh, a Facebook page called Liberia Medical Relief that we post on uh, regularly. We have a website, uh, LiberiaMedicalRelief.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have to confess it isn't as, isn't, 
updated as often as I would like it to be. But I think both of them have a um, uh, a link to a PayPal account. So we, the Liberia Medical Relief has a PayPal account. It's simply Dr. Strappy at LiberiaMedicalRelief.org, which was our old website. Mm -hmm. uh, that's still the email that, that's linked to the um, the PayPal account. Uh, that's the that's the only electronic uh, method we use. Uh, that works. Things can be we we have an address of it's thirty Acacia Court South. That's A C A C I A Acacia Court South, Lake Placid, Florida, three three eight five two. And if somebody wants to send a donation uh, by check, it can go to that address. And and we we'll, we certainly try to keep all of our donors apprised as to what we're doing. And of course, all, we're a five hundred one c three corporation, so all, all uh, donations are you know eligible for tax deduction and. So we're, we'd be more than happy to accept any donations. Yes, absolutely. And a terrific yeah. cause for sure. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks a lot, Dr. Kevin, for being here today with us. To all of you for joining us and see you in the next one. Thanks. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you.